This morning, we're going to have Ken Rathman come up and preach to us. Thank you, brother, for coming and filling the pulpit. We appreciate your word. Yeah, and he was on there longer than I was, that's for sure. <laughs> Reality kicked in pretty quick when I realized my life savings was gone in two months. So <laughs> that was something. But anyway, and Judy as well. And that it's always good for us to get back here. I, we enjoy Northridge Baptist Church very much. And, and you have meant a lot to us over the years. We just got back from three days, four days at family camp and had uh, opportunity to, well, I was invited on a sacred trust during that time by Matthew and Josiah to go with them on their yearly family tradition of walking early in the morning to the, to the Great Bridge. And I really was very honored that they asked me to come with them and uh, share in that family time. So anyway, that was good too. Probably the best pictures I got when I was there was from the bridge, so that was neat. So anyway, had some fellowship with some of you already this week, and that's good. If you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's actually in the book of Matthew in chapter 9 and in Luke in chapter 5. And so I'm going to refer to a little bit back and forth from some of those other passages. But anyway, this is actually not part of... I, I decided what I was going to preach on before we went to family camp. And that was good, and, and some of the th same themes there are that, we, that we feasted on, really, in the Word of God from Dr. Newman and Dr. Dan Brown was just a real blessing to us. But anyway, some of the themes are kind of picking up from what I was here. And, and uh, Lennon and I were talking about his car this morning, and this is just the illustration that I had to start the sermon with, is, is uh, have you ever noticed how sometimes even the seemingly insignificant details often make the most impact. I remember one time my, my, we, our family was coming together, extended family, and my brother, none of us are good with cars. I would just say that right away. I don't know how to, a car works. I know where the gas goes and where the oil goes, and pretty much that's about it. And when the lights come on, I don't know what to do. So, but anyway, in his car, there was uh, some sort of problem, and he, he realized that there was a part of a belt hanging down underneath the car. So he just took that and yanked it out and then got back in the car and just started going again. Actually, he didn't make it on time to where we were all supposed to meet. Uh, I am just as clueless. But you ever thought of what you could afford to do without in a car? Now, I suppose you can do without some systems. I suppose air conditioning, if you can, well, you can do, f you know, 455 air conditioning, four w windows down at 55 miles an hour, that may uh, do okay. But anyway, what other system in the car could you afford to do without? The exhaust system, you'll be pretty loud. The people will hear you coming from a long time. The cooling system, if the radiator doesn't work, as I understand, it could overheat the whole thing and that's bad. If the motor goes bad, if the battery goes bad, I'm just rehearsing things from my own life history here that I know that you can't do without. The transmission's going bad. And even the wheels. The wheels are actually quite important. You get one of those go bad, you got to do something about it right away. All of these are important. However, if you don't have yet one 
you know, comparatively small piece of metal or a fab uh, key or something like that, then you're not going to go anywhere either. So, so all of these systems are important and they all go together to be, to fit useful, even though they have different roles and different parts to, to play in the operation of a vehicle. And you know, the same thing can be true of us in the Lord's service. We don't all have the same functions. But each of us have different roles that are all important, and the body can't function without that. So what I would like for us to, to look at is that, that we ought to see as we are, are moving out and, and in executing our roles in the church, that we ought to see the world as Christ sees the world. And man, you guys, I've told you this before, you are very strategically located. You have, you have the world right next door, literally. And, and I think it's really neat, some of the outreach things that you're doing and things like that, because there's people around in this very neighborhood who need the gospel, just like it is in, in Altoona and in Ankeny and all over around in Des Moines. People there see, need to see the world as Christ does. And so let's take a look at our text. Before we do that, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us in Mark chapter 2 to see what you have for us, the, the impact there that uh, we see from, from Christ's perspective on the world. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to imbibe that and to model that, too, in our own lives. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you must see the world as Christ sees the world. And you know what? I think, you know, obviously being the Son of God, he's going to see things a lot different than we do. Why? Because we're, we are such, we have such a narrow focus of just, you know, basically all we have is really to go on is our own life experience and whatever we read in a book or something or watch on, on an internet tube or uh, a new tube or something like that. But the truth is, is that, that uh, Christ sees potential where other people see inferiority. And we're going to look at this whole story here where Christ is, is uh, calling his disciples. He's in the middle of that in this pa passage. And it says in verses 13 and 14, it says, And he went forth, this is Christ, by the seaside, and all the multitudes resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now he's talking about Matthew, I mean the actual writer of Matthew. It's interesting, I looked through the passage this morning in Matthew, and of course he's writing about himself there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of an interesting uh, passage, and, and Christ's answer is recorded there from the questioning from the, the uh, Pharisees, and, it's, and he records a, a slightly um, a different aspect of that conversation there. But that's interesting. Now, why would I say that Christ sees potential where other people see inferiority? What sort of inferiority am I talking about? Well, what do we know about Matthew? We don't know, you know, there's no like five-volume series on his, you know, biography. But we do know certain things here, and, and especially from what he was doing. He's sitting at the receipt of custom. And, and Christ, of all people to point and say, I want you as my disciple, he chose Matthew. Now, that would be a very unusual choice, 
probably one that not you and I would ever make in the, in the world. Now, I apologize in advance if there's anybody here who works for the IRS, but in any case, this is a tax collector, and so it's not looked upon in such high regard to be a tax collector in, in his day. And you know what? It's, I suppose we kind of have the same view too today, but, but he's, he's, he's called a publican here. And, and it will be uh, clear throughout the tax that we see today of what people thought of them. And, and actually, tax collectors in Jesus' day were lumped together with sinners. And you'll find that several times. And, and in some cases, like Matthew 21, verses 28 and following, and it says, let me just re read the story here. And what, what think ye, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and likewise, and, he, uh, and said likewise. And he, said, uh, and he answered and said, I will go, sir, and went not. Which of the twain did the will of the Father? They say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And then he gives an explanation of why that's there. But notice the connection there between publicans, these, these tax collectors, and and harlots so i mean you know they're they're not in good company when you think of someone who is a tax collector especially now not today i'm not saying that today but i'm saying in jesus's day now why were they so hated well it's not like they're just working for you know the the israeli national uh you know situation there you know with in the local situation they were actually hated because they were seen as a traitor to the country because who is matthew collecting taxes for that's the real question and the que and the answer to that is the roman government and as as uh administrated by by herod's government locally in the that region of the world so so of all people to think of who would make a good disciple of Christ, why would you go to somebody like Matthew? I mean, he's, you know, like lumped in with the really bad people of the world in that day. I mean, he really can't get much worse than how it was thought of him. And, and yet, why in the world would God, in his wisdom and, and in the Christ in his, his earthly ministry, choose Matthew as one of the ones who would be one of the 12. Now, you have to realize the 12 are what Christ in his, you know, we would say in a strategic way, a strategic plan that he had, he was going to pour his life into these 12 men and they were going to hopefully spread the message after Christ ascended. Now, that was the plan. That's what we know now. Of course, we can see that easily. But, uh, wouldn't you want the very best of the best if that's, I mean, you only got 12. And of course, we all know that one of those didn't work out with Judas's case, although he was replaced. But even still, you got to have the best of the best there. And, and why would you put Matthew in that category? Because he doesn't deserve it. He, it's not just that he's working for the Roman government, but tax collectors tended to be kind of wealthy. I mean, you think of Zacchaeus and others. Why are they tending to be kind of wealthy? Because they collect taxes, and they collect a little bit more than they, than they have to. I mean, and this is a, a worldwide problem, I think, in throughout all of world history, is any 
administration has to be able to collect taxes somewhat efficiently if they're going to stay in power because obviously they're going to run a government, it takes money, and, and yet the more people who touch that, that is, okay, here's the pot that everybody put the money in, but usually everybody who administrates it takes their hand and gets some out before they send it up the line. And so that's certainly what would have been, would have been happening there. And, and so you would say, why would you choose Matthew? He's not honest. He's not loyal. Why would you choose him? And, you know, of course, Christ's ministry was very centered upon the Jewish people in his earthly lifetime. And you would say, this guy isn't even helping us. This guy is, is awful, evil. Why would you choose him? And yet, he saw potential where other people see inferiority. And you know, it says when he left everything to follow Jesus, Luke chapter 5 specifically says he left all. You know, it's kind of like he pushes himself back from the table uh, from this sitting at the receipt of custom, he arose and followed him. That's what it says in, in Mark. But, it, but Luke specifically says, he left all. Now, what do you suppose he left? He's got money on the table he's collecting from people. There was something going on in his life. Obviously, Christ would have known what that is and all. But from us, here's this hated guy that you have to visit every now and again and give him some of your wealth, and, you know, he's living in luxury. And he's collaborating with the hated Roman government that you can see evidence all over because there were soldiers billeted in towns and, and they would have their own enclaves as well. So why would you say that this is a good idea here? This is going to get people upset with you. And, and, you know, you could say from, you just think of it in a political way. Politics are a part of our lives and elections coming. And uh, sometimes I think I wish we would do it the way the parliamentarian people do because they, they, they will call a, an election and they have 30 days. That's the only time you can, you can campaign for an election is the 30 days between the time the prime minister calls the election and the time it happens. Wouldn't that be nice? We get like two or three years of it sometimes, you know. But uh, it would be nice to have that cutting down a little bit. But anyway, so... This, is, this was something that, that was Matthew's reality here. Why would you put somebody like that? That's a divisive character. That's someone who isn't going to fit in. That's someone who's going to anger your constituency, you might even say. And yet, that's, that Christ didn't hesitate. And it's interesting. Christ chose him out of all the people he could have. He just saw him there. Come follow me. And Matthew went. There was something going on in his heart at that time, something that nobody else see, saw or knew about or heard of. You know, he had loved money, and he had loved money more than he had loved the, the, the esteem of his fellow countrymen. He was willing to do a lot to, to feed that love, but now we found a new love. Money had been the motivation to bear the brunt of society's reproach, to, hate, to work closely with the hated foreign government and the provision of Rome and the provisional government of Herod. But all that changed now. This was a real life change. Now you'd think, now this guy is someone who's never going to change. I mean, who's going to give up money, right? Well, Christ knew 
that there was going to be a change in his life. Now, many people want to follow the Lord without making any change. That doesn't usually work out too well, because when the difficulties of life come, they don't stick around. But we could also realize, too, now this is church tradition, so we don't know if it's true or not, but it's said that Matthew was burned alive for his faith. He was a martyr. Now, he probably was a martyr. I'm not sure exactly how he, he, he died. But in any case, it was inward as well because he would not have gone through that for something he did not believe in. And so he was the person that God chose. But yet he would be probably on our, you know, if we were up there to, to decide, okay, we need to make this, you know, so we please as many people as possible. We want to launch a world movement here, right? So let's get the right people and uh, the ones that'll be very winsome and, and people will be attracted to them for spreading the message of the gospel after he after Christ uh, ascended to heaven. But, th but that's not what Christ did here. And you know what? That can be, I have seen that true over and over and over again. One of the ministries I had in Jamaica, as well as, even as now, is visiting local churches and challenging people, especially young people, to offer their lives in service to the Lord. If God is calling them, and I, would, I remember I would say in Jamaica, hey, either there wasn't that many pastors around. In fact, there was a very a dearth, a, a shortage of pastors. In fact, people are estimating that's going to happen here in the U.S. as well, more so than that we see even now. But I would say to them, either God has stopped calling people into the ministry or people are not answering his call. And, and to just challenge them that, that you know, Jamaica, Jamaica needs the gospel. And I would say to us, you know, the United States needs the gospel, and that's all true. There was one person there that, and I didn't have any specific connection of him coming to Bible college, but of all the people that came to Bible college, this guy was rough. I mean, he was, I mean, he was a very soft-spoken, nice guy, but, but he, was, he was rough in a lot of areas, and even how he communicated, and in academics in some ways, in expressing himself in writing, and in other ways. Just, there was just a lot, you know, just thought, you know, it's nice that he's here, and that he's gaining some good knowledge of the truth, and, and that'll be nice, and probably he'll be a great candidate to go back into his church and be a godly deacon for the Lord, and that'll be great. And, you know, I mean, I invested with this, I invested my time with him too. I mean, he was a great individual and, and I liked him a lot, but, but I did, honestly, I didn't see much potential in him. Do you know where he is right now? Do you know where he is right now? He's in Mozambique as a missionary. His name is Junior Taylor. He actually ended up coming to faith and finishing a Master of Divinity degree. And of all the people that I've taught there, I didn't know that that's who God would choose to use in this particular way. We're supporting, uh, we're supporters of him. We're thrilled about that. And, uh, and I love that. In fact, some, and, and interestingly enough, Mozambique speaks Portuguese. And so eventually when it's time and ready, and, and he says, I'm, I'm going to invite you to come and you're going to bring your wife and she's going to translate for you and you're going to teach here. So anyway, I'll take a mission trip there. That would be great. And I'm, I'm anticipating that. But in any case, we need to see the world that way ourselves, don't we? 
all right, this, you know what, this particular couple, they're just not going to make it, and, you know, boy, nobody, they're, they're hopeless, they're, their marriage is a mess, that's, that's not going to work, we're not going to, I'm not going to waste my time with them, right? But you know what, God has it that he knows and he sees more than what we see. And he also knows and sees what's going on in the heart. And obviously something had been rotting and, and, and I want to say discomforting Matthew in his life. For he knew who Christ was. Everybody knew Christ was. Christ came by his table and pointed at him, him and said, follow me. I'm sure he never expected that but he was ready for it. And I think we need to be careful in how we see other people as well. And especially people who don't, you know, you don't have maybe relate to in, in as easily. And, and that's important for us, even right here where, where you're located, about reaching others. And what about others around you? You can have an influence in someone's life by investing in their life. And that's an important thing to do. But also, what about you yourself? Oh, I could never do anything for the Lord. You know, not like, you know, service for God. Like that's what you do all the time or something. But you know what? Everyone can do this. Why? Because you know what? That great commission that Christ gave to all of us was to all of us. It wasn't just to those who were in ministry full time. We're all supposed to have some kind of impact on others. And... And we need to understand that, that God can do more t- with our lives than what we even think of. Because what do you think? Again, look at Matthew. Did he ever think, hey, I'm, a, I'm doing pretty good here. There's turmoil in my life. Something's not right. I know I'm not living in a way that I'm proud of. And I know that I need help. And then the master comes to him and says, follow me. He knew that was the answer. And then no amount of money could tempt Matthew to go back to that. Why? Because he wasn't interested in that anymore. So the power of the Spirit, oops, I just knocked that off, sorry. The power of the Spirit through the ministry of the Word forged in the crucible of hardship made Matthew an unlikely candidate but one that God used tremendously. And we don't know exactly how each of the disciples were used in, in, you know, after uh, Christ ascended to heaven. But we know that they did do a lot because look what happened. Christ in, in, invested his life into those men, and they really are the ones that, changed, that God used to change the world. Let's keep reading in our text there, and it says in verse 15, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, so this is actually in Matthew's house. It's maybe not as clear in other in the, uh, passage, but, but in actually in Luke it says that, that Matthew prepared a great feast. Now, you know what? He probably could afford it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it that way, and yeah, he could. And oftentimes... You know, we're going to see that the, the, pub, the, the scribes and the Pharisees spoke to Jesus' disciple during this great feast. And sometimes when you had a, a, a great speaker or a great teacher like that, you would invite them into your house. But, but the neighbors or people could come around and listen at the windows and, and hear the message as well. So this is at Matthew's house. These are, there's... Who did he invite? 
Who did Matthew invite? Let's just look at that. It says, and it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat together with Jesus. So these were not the people outside the, the house w looking in at the windows to listen to the, to the teacher teach. These were people he invited inside the house. And who else is there? So many publicans and sinners. This is that same phrase I talked about before. These are like maybe some unseemly people or people that, you know, boy, I wouldn't want to associate with them. I don't want other people to see me with them because, you know, everybody knows what kind of person they are. I don't want that. But anyway, many publicans and sinners sat together sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. So they're all sitting there. They're in the house. So you got, I don't know, I mean, different tables? I don't know. But I mean, you got the one side of people, you know, just like Matthew's friends, and you have the other side of the people on the other table. I don't know how they did it. Maybe they were all kind of leaning in with their feet outwards or something, and they, you know, kind of reclined. But in any case... Jesus and his disciples were, were there, for there were many, and they followed him. How is that dynamic going to work, you know? So you want to make some small talk with somebody that doesn't have any kind of uh, values that you have or things like that? Why, you know, I mean, if the disciples were thinking, they could say, well, uh, I'm going to talk to him how I decided to follow Jesus. Okay, well, there would be something to talk to him about. So it's not like they couldn't, but... But it, you could just sense, the, can you just sense the awkwardness there just like from that kind of, of setting the table that way of who's there? And so the point here is, is that Christ, we see the world the way Christ does. We don't have to be limited by other people's opinions. And Christ certainly was not limited by other people's opinions when he called these people together. Can you imagine the first time someone says a swear word on the other side of the table? Oh my goodness, they're not supposed to say that. Or maybe they got a great big tattoo or whatever. Or more, more um, piercings than, than you can imagine thought possible. Or whatever it is, you know? Are they a person that needs the gospel? Did, did Jesus know that, that when he accepted, the, obviously, the invitation for, for eating at Matthew's house, he'd be put in a situation like that? Absolutely. Obviously, the Lord of all creation would know that. But that's what he wanted. He wanted to seek them out. And he's going to say that. Why? Here in just a second here. But this oddness, this uncomfortability did not, was not lost on the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, just think about, I'm just thinking about uncomfortable ministry. You know what? I realized early on when I went to Jamaica, I'm the only white person around and uh, at least till I got married, but my wife is, is uh, um, indigenous to Brazil, so it's not quite the same thing. But in any case, I, I just realized that if I'm going to wait till I'm comfortable in ministry, I'm never going to do anything. I'm not, because it's just, I, that's just, you know what? You don't have to be comfortable in ministry to be involved in ministry. And I'm not talking about it in a full-time way. I'm just talking about sitting next to someone then you strike a up a conversation with them. You don't have to be comfortable with that because if you wait till you're comfortable, you probably won't because you, you know, I mean, it's good to build relationships even with people you don't know and then that, you know, provides comfortability. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but 
if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to, to speak to someone, you don't have to wait till you feel comfortable with the situation. Because you know what? In some cases, and I can tell you, either from India or Australia or, or a couple times in Africa, or one time in Africa especially, I never got comfortable. It just, it's not required. It really isn't. And you know what? That's really freeing. Hey, I'm not going to be comfortable with this, but I'm going to do my best, you know? So a lot of extremes going on this way. God is not limited to our humanly-based opinions when he decides to work in someone's life. And a lot of times it's important for us to understand that because you, you, it could be that God has someone in mind for you to talk to that's, that's from uh, a very incredibly intimidating social position than you are. I mean, can you imagine if you're sitting next to a professional athlete or something like that on an airplane? Probably you wouldn't unless you could board the, the front of the plane. But, but even still, or maybe a politician. I think I, I, I shook hands with somebody. I was uh, at the family leader conference on, on a couple of Fridays ago, and I looked on the internet later on and realized, hey, I shook hands with that guy. Ah, he's one of the candidates for the Republican whatever, whatever. And uh, okay, wow, that was interesting. I mean, I didn't even know that he was, he was just going around and shaking hands, so I shook his hand. But what if you had opportunity to, to, to have influence on someone's life? And you're thinking, well, you know, I don't belong in that category. Or certainly, or maybe it's the other direction. Oh, I don't want to associate with that person. They're a sinner. They're, they're a nasty person or something like that. You know what? Everybody needs the gospel. And it's not up to us to make those de de decisions and definitions and, and categories that we force on others. And maybe they're not interested in the gospel. But you know what? You won't know until you try. Some people have God's will all for their lives, all mapped out for them, and so all they need is, is uh, God's endorsement on what they want to do. And you know, it's important for us to realize that God oftentimes steps in and changes those plans. And that plan could just be, hey, I want a quiet uh, ride to, you know, say if you're on an airplane or something, you're, you're going, so I don't want to talk to anybody, I just want to sit and chill. But you know what? there could be an opportunity for you to have an influence. And we need to be ready and, and, and willing to do that. God wants a willing heart. And sometimes we have to change our mind how God's going to use us. Well, I know what I, I don't, I don't really work well with people I don't ever met before. So I'd rather them come up to me and be friendly to me. And then I can, you know, interact pretty well. Actually, that's the way I prefer, honestly. But that doesn't always happen. In fact, oftentimes it shouldn't happen that way because I need to be uh, uh, more assertive in that. But in any case, if we're wanting God to use us, we need to be available and willing to do so. God had a plan. Matthew probably had no idea that day that his life would change forever. But God had a plan. And we want to know, we, we need to understand that that. God is allowed to use uh, our lives the way he wants. And really, we won't be happy, or we won't be satisfied, we won't be fulfilled unless we allow that to happen. 
and uh, let's just finish there in, in verse 16, and, and uh, especially the awkwardness there. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, not to Christ himself, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Hey, look what your master is doing. How on earth does he have any credibility before us at all? And that's where we understand what Christ was really doing. And that's, what, uh, that's why we need to see the world as Christ does, because he reaches those who recognize their need. And those people, the scribes and the Pharisees, looked upon as the, the upper echelon of society in several ways, but sp spiritually speaking, very much so. They were the holy ones. If anybody was going to heaven, it must be them. Why? Because they're holy. How do you know? Because they'll be the first ones to tell you. And they'll show you, and they're, you know, the loud outward praying and all of those kinds of things that they, they wanted the, the um, honor and recognition for. And they're the ones pointing out the awkwardness that everybody was feeling anyway. Hey, what is he doing there? Why are you doing that? And of course, Christ heard it and saith unto him. In fact, others will say when he perceived it among, uh, in himself, he heard that what they were saying. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And, it, and, it, and I think that really showed that, look, if you're not open to this message, this message is you're not, not, it's not for you. And, and notice how many Pharisees he called. You know, that, those, those ones who were not willing to see themselves as Christ saw them, that as needy, that as needing him, those were the ones that, that, um, that were not open to his message. And that's really sad because they missed out. And right here on the spot, Christ used Matthew to reach a host of people that would have not otherwise had any association with Christ, you know? How many people that like to go to bars are here this morning, you know? And uh, I, know, I remember one church that I've heard of is that they realized, well, most of the people we want to reach for the gospel aren't here in church, so, but where are they? They're at home on Sunday, so once a quarter or whatever, they would have the morning service real quick and then they would go out to their whole neighborhoods because that's everybody was home at that time you know and uh and that's when they wanted to reach them for the gospel but but uh did matthew even know that what this what it was in my in in christ's mind probably not that that these people that were considered the lower class of society, these are the ones that Christ especially wanted to reach. Now that tells us a lot of that, that Christ sees people differently than we do. In fact, some of our, in some of our snobbishness, we could say, oh, I don't want to be associated with some. That's not where we should see that. You know, there's... There's a, a fervency with people that I've met in third world countries and say India and, and, and Jamaica and some parts of Africa and, and others like that, they have a fervency for the Lord that is very, very um, admirable. And, uh, and they, they don't care who knows about it. I mean, they're very outward in it and that's wonderful. And, and in fact, they have much less to be thankful for than we have. 
and yet they are some of the most godly and, 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 uh, uh, and dependent on the Lord people uh, than, than we can see on an everyday uh, church situation here. Now, here's where I want us to, to think in our minds here. I want to, to, to have you spend some time thinking about what's going on here in this passage. There was a person who was willing to be used. I mean, in fact, first of all, he's, this is Matthew. He was willing to be called, and then, then immediately he was used by the Lord to reach a whole bunch of different people that, uh, that Christ wanted to reach, that were important to Christ. He was willing, be, and he was okay with, with Christ using him, he was okay with Othwell being a little bit embarrassed, obviously, because here he's opening his house, great feast, has his friends, everybody's looking, the neighbors are watching, they're looking through the windows or whatever, and it probably wasn't an easy thing for him, but he realized that there was something, this is what the master wanted, and then he was willing to help with that. So there's a lot of, of, uh, of people that need the gospel and need us or, or God can use us if we're willing to, to, to look at people the way they do it. Now, that could be a lot of things. It could be a whole life of service, if that's what God's calling you to do. Change of uh, direction or change of, of ministry, change of, of career path. Or even a two- or three-week missions trip that allows you to participate in missions. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of differences, depending on where you go, of what ministry can look like and a lot of it is uncomfortable and a lot of it would be maybe a challenge for you but you know this is it's good for you to understand what what uh serviceful lord could entail using your talents using your opportunities that god gives you and and i think that's important for us too do we go before the lord with a willing heart this morning and I don't know what God has in store for you this week, but I hope it's something that makes you uncomfortable. I hope it's uh, something that you have an opportunity to share the gospel with in a situation that you're not used to. Why? Because that's a good thing. That's not the, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Yeah, it is. That's a good thing. That, we don't want to avoid that. We want to embrace that. So do you go to, go to the Lord with a willing heart? Do you, can you go before the Lord with a willing heart? And if so, then you can act on it giving God your life, recognizing his control over your life, and practicing true dedication. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to look into this, this powerful passage, really, in just a few verses of what you were able to do from a person that nobody would expect to be one that you would use in ministry. And, Father, we thank you for the example of Matthew, and we also thank you for the awkwardness of the situation because we can relate to that you reach us where we are and father i hope i pray that you would help us to be humble and to be willing to do and to um, participate in the situations and, and the service you have for us and for this we pray in jesus name amen